talent, regardless of how prodigious it might be, only takes you so far. And then after that, there's a lot of personality that really steeps into the equation. So what I've found is if you have two people that are equally talented, the one who will always get the job is going to be the one that's fun to be around, or at least isn't a hassle to be around. And even if you have somebody that's a lot more talented that is going to be a pain, they're not going to get the gig, or at least they're not going to keep it. Hey, this is Jason Tonioli. I'm a piano player that grew up believing it wasn't possible to earn a living and support a family with music. I've proven that idea was wrong and have met hundreds of other people who have found success with their music. This podcast features stories of musicians who have found their own personal version of success and fulfillment in both music and life. This podcast is meant to inspire musicians and help them believe in their abilities and motivate them to share their talents with others. This is the Successful Musicians Podcast. So thanks so much for joining the podcast today. I have a special guest with me, Bobby Osinski, friend that I met in Sedona, Arizona, actually with a music mastermind group. And I'm super excited to talk with you today, Bobby. I want to kind of dive in. Tell me a little bit about your story, kind of your background. I know you went to Berkeley Music or Berkeley School, and but how in the world did you get into the music industry and kind of give us a little overview of that path? Thanks for having me on, Jason. I appreciate it. I was a professional musician from very early in my life, professional meaning making money. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was already playing four nights a week in clubs, even though I was too young to officially be in a club. But growing up in Minersville, Pennsylvania, where there's 5,000 people, things like that get overlooked. So it progressed from there. Eventually, I wound up playing with the biggest band in a particular area, then got a record deal, and we traveled up and down with a major label, by the way, and we traveled up and down the East Coast, so I toured a lot. I had the revelation, actually, that happened where we went in to record the first album in you know the big, expensive New York studio, and I remember hearing the first playback and thinking I was a pretty good player up until that time. Because, of course, what happens is, you know, you play five nights a week, six nights a week, five sets a night. You get pretty good, but you get pretty good in your little area. When I heard the first playback, I realized how mediocre I really was. It kind of slapped me in the face. And that made me decide to get better and also kind of change my focus from being a player to producer and engineering came kind of secondary, but it did come. So I went to Berkeley College of Music, as you just said, and I was there for about two years, a little more. First as a student, then as a student and teacher, which I don't recommend to anybody, and then just as a teacher for a few semesters. What stopped me there was I went into the teacher's lounge one day, and there was somebody in there ranting and raving, and he was basically saying, this place is for rookies or has-beens. And it hit me between the eyes, and I thought, I don't want to be either of those. So I quit. And that's when I came out to Los Angeles. And really, my career started from the bottom, but it started. And taking any kind of gig I could, doing anything. I worked on scope commercials, and I worked on movie music, and I worked on just about anything you can think of until finally things started to break for me, and I started to get work with better artists and better projects and things like that. So it's been a long, long road, but it started in a way that I never would have expected I would have ended up here. That's for sure. I'm lucky. So you've been a producer and kind of that audio engineering path and really 
you're really well known in the industry, but for those that don't, aren't familiar with him, you've kind of written one of the main books used in colleges that teaches audio engineering and just audio in general. Tell us a little bit about that. You and I were on a walk together and I remember you telling me how you ended up writing this book and didn't really intend, I don't think, originally to do that. Yeah, what happened was I had no intention of writing anything. But as things happen in life, sometimes there's something that kicks you in the pants in a direction that you don't expect. And maybe sometimes you don't even take advantage of it. But I was on a tour bus and I remember the bass player walked on and said, I just got a job writing for the music paper. The music paper was a very famous weekly newspaper just about music, everything about the music business in New York City. And it's no longer there, unfortunately, but it was a really great piece. And for some reason, I thought, you know, if you can do that, so can I. So I put out some feelers to magazines, various audio magazines, and I did get an assignment. And one article turned into two, which turned into 10. And next thing you know, I was writing for a dozen different music industry magazines, Billboard, Variety, Grammy Magazine, EQ, Recording Engineer Producer, Film and Video, and it goes on and on. So in that, I was still engineering. I was still producing and just working in the music business. But what ended up happening was I met a lot of people as I was interviewing them. And in the course of my day job in the music industry, I was working on a project and I was a pretty good recording engineer, but I was a mediocre at best music mixer. And I had someone actually tell me, I think you're the worst mixer in the world. Kind of in jest, but at the same time, the truth was barely hidden. And I realized it was definitely the truth. So then I thought, well, I know all of the best people. I know them all. I've talked to them all. And I went on a quest. I talked to 25, 26, 27 of the best recording and mixing engineers on the planet. And I asked them how they did it. And they told me. And I learned a lot and I got a lot better. And I thought, well, I bet there's a lot of people like me. So I sat down and I wrote a book. And it was called The Mixing Engineer's Handbook. Everybody said, no, you can't write a book on this. It's too subjective. But I thought, eh, I'll, I'll try it. We'll see what happens. So lo and behold, five publishers wanted it when I sent it out. And I went with the one that was the most aggressive. And it became a hit right away. Since there was no books like this, it was adapted as a standard in music programs and colleges all over the world. And it still is today. It came out in 1999. And you just barely did a new version of that too, right? New version. The fifth edition just came out a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So anyway, one book turns into two, which turns into 10, which turns into, I don't know, I think 28 I've done. Not all of them in the music business, but a lot of books that I've written. And it's something that I enjoy that I wouldn't have realized was a possibility except for this quirk of fate that happened with the bass player that I was playing with. Interesting. You don't realize the path you're going to end up taking until you're just a good ride. And as long as you're willing to kind of follow those and kind of go with the flow, good things happen. Good songs are probably similar to that. If you're into writing music or even like listening to good songs, luckily some people are willing to just kind of go in directions that others may not have been willing to do. And it turns into some of the best music out there for sure. Yeah. I think you just have to follow those things. You have to learn to recognize whenever something like that pops up, be it creative or being it an opportunity or whatever it is, and then learn to follow it. It doesn't always work out, but many times it does in, in ways that are very rewarding. I've had it happen to me multiple times. 
another time that it happened then turned my career in another way was I'd written a lot of books, but it was like, well, if I write another book, I can't really make that much more money. Not that I'm doing it strictly for the money, but you know, you look at that, that's in the equation. And I was a guest on another podcast and there was another person that was also a guest and we got to talking and said, maybe you should do some courses for us, some video courses. And this is for a company called lynda.com. lynda.com was then bought by LinkedIn. So now it's called LinkedIn Learning. But I did a recording and I did a mixing and I did a mastering course and I did some social media for musicians courses and things like that. And it turned into yet another kind of career because now that's something that I do on my own as well, doing online courses and stuff. But it wouldn't have happened except for that, again, quirk of fate. So you've been around hundreds and hundreds of different musicians over time and studios. And I'm curious, have you seen any similarities in mistakes that musicians sometimes make as they're trying to do a career in music? I mean, a lot of people I know always focus on, well, what do the successful people do? But is there some similarities and mistakes that maybe they make that you've seen over the years? Yeah, there's two that come to mind. The first is not being flexible. I was like this myself early in my career, thinking this is the way it's done. This is the way I do it. I'm not even going to consider anything else. And that's a mistake, obviously, and you don't learn with that kind of attitude. And luckily, I learned that that was not something that was going to be in my best interest. But I certainly had that attitude myself. Well, there's three of them. The second one would be people who are very talented but not easy to get along with. And talent, regardless of how prodigious it might be, only takes you so far. And then after that, there's a lot of personality that really steeps into the equation. So what I've found is if you have two people that are equally talented, the one who will always get the job is going to be the one that's fun to be around, or at least isn't a hassle to be around. And even if you have somebody that's a lot more talented that is going to be a pain, they're not going to get the gig, or at least they're not going to keep it. So that's the second thing. The third thing is everybody I know in the business that has become successful, successful meaning they've had a pretty good career, maybe not on a star level, but certainly a good career in the music business. There's a certain tenacity that you have to have, meaning that regardless of what happens, regardless of the obstacles that are in front of you, you keep on saying, I'm in this business, I'm what I'm going to do, I'm not going to change at all. Maybe you change within the business, but you don't leave it, because if you do, it's hard to get back in. Good. It really is just kind of working at it day in and day out. I love it. So one of my favorite things to do is... I look back on my experience with piano lessons. In my sophomore year, I quit piano lessons and fought my piano teacher and my mom for many years leading up to that. If there's advice I can give to these teenage boys, especially because I think just boys tend to go do sports and for some reason they don't think it's cool or whatever on the piano. But if you had any advice for any teenager, boy, girl, whatever, when they're in their teenage years and they're thinking, you know what, I've got talent. I think I maybe want to do something with music. If it was your own child, even their teenage years, what advice would you have them have for them? And what would you tell them to work on and study? Well, the first thing is I would tell them to make sure that they do study and they do stay at it and they practice because it's so easy to not to say, well, okay, I got this and maybe not have it to the degree that you need it. So you can superficially know a technique, for instance, but yet you don't really know it and you don't have it mastered. And I think that's a secret. I wish I would have known it. And looking back in my life, I would have 
definitely been a better player had I done that. So that's a really big thing to me, especially if you're a kid, because it's easy, especially when you have talent. You go, yeah, yeah, I can do this, but maybe not, maybe not the way you need it. I think it's gotten easier to find those people that we can look up to and be like, maybe I'm not that good. I coached soccer for more than a dozen years now. And it's funny when you think you're really good in soccer and then you go play in a tournament or something and and you just get clobbered. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you know, you were beating everybody in your division, but man, all of a sudden the girls or the boys teams that I've had, they come back with a renewed interest in maybe practicing and, and working harder. So that's great advice. Is there any kind of specific things that you would say foundational things that you feel like somebody in that teenager to early college needs to have in their toolbox and know well? Well, as I said before, one of the biggest things is to be flexible Mm -hmm. and to understand that there's a lot more to the world than probably your world vision, to be open to it. It's really easy when you're a kid, and even beyond that, to get stuck in, this is what I like, this is the only thing that counts, this is what I do. But yet there's a bigger world out there and it will really help you if you open up to it. So growing up, I always was under the impression that, and I don't know whether it was just the culture or what I'd heard, I'd always heard that, you know, it's really hard to make a living as a musician. If you're a teacher or just, I think as I look back on trying to decide on a career path, I intentionally did not choose music because I was told that you couldn't make a living at it. As we've evolved with the way everything's changed with the internet now, do you feel like that's something that still exists today in the culture, or is it really possible, do you feel like, to make a living in music in some way now? Well, it is. It's the way you do it has changed. When I came up in kind of a golden age where the drinking age in most states had changed from 21 to 18, as a result, there were all these bars that opened up and they all needed entertainment. So as a result, there were so many gigs that you literally can play every night if you wanted to. You weren't paying to play, they were paying you. So as I said, I was doing pretty well when I was in high school. And then even in college, I was out touring and paying people to take tests for me and stuff. So again, my experience is different than what happens now. That being said, the opportunities to become a musician and make some money are greater today in that you can do so much online. It's so much easier because you don't need a band. You can do it yourself. But there's a certain element of luck and there's a certain element of business acumen that's required for this. Many artists, musicians, they just want to do what they do and they don't want to learn the other part of it. I completely understand. It's nothing bad about that. It's just that the people that tend to do, you know, make a living doing this They're the ones that do have some business acumen, and they're the ones that do practice that often. And all the tools are there. The tools are easy to get today. If you want to learn something, it's out there. You can do it. You can learn it. But it is easier in a lot of ways. I just saw something from Spotify. They have like a yearly state of the platform that they put out. And I forget the number exactly, but it was something like there were 56,000 artists on the platform that were making $100,000 or more a year, 56,000. There were 116,000 that were making, no, it was more than that, but that were making 50,000 a year. And there was something like 400,000 that were making 10,000 a year from Spotify. So what that means is there's a lot of people out there making money. Now, that's one platform. There's 33 others. So if you're making some money here, you're probably making money in other places as well. 
And that means that there's a class of musicians, a class of artists that are making money without having a gig, that are just doing it online. So yeah, it's possible. For sure. As you look at all, you talk about business acumen, if you were to pick one business book that you would say has made the biggest difference on your music career, what could that be? The Donald Passman book, I think it's everything you need to know about the music business. And that must be in its like eighth edition now. Donald Passman is one of the top music attorneys and he lays everything out in a very, very attainable way. Let's face it, when attorneys talk to you sometimes, it's way over your head. But this guy lays it out so it's easy to grasp. And this, this has been going on for 20, at least 20 years that he's been doing it. But that's one I'd still recommend. Very cool. All right. So last question for you. So if you were to define success for you, what does it mean to you, I guess, to be a successful or have a successful career in the music business or just even for you personally, what would you define as looking back at the end of your life saying, okay, that was success because of what would it be? Well, I think there's two answers to that question. The first is today making a living is the new success. So it's not necessarily being a star. It's, it's being able to make a living. It's something that you love. I've been lucky because I've been able to do that. And having sort of ADD where it's hard to keep my attention in one place, I've been able to do it in multiple places, just like you, where you have multiple businesses and so do I. So it's nice to have your attention. Once you get bored in one place, you can go someplace else and exercise new muscles and learn something new. And that's the thing that keeps us all going to some degree, learning something new all the time, because it's no fun if you don't. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, that's great advice. And I'm excited to be getting my copy of your new fifth edition book that you just had come out. I'll put a link if people want to go get it from you in the show notes on here, but definitely go check out. Just leave one last thing. You have multiple things where you provide all kinds of resources and free and subscription type of resources for anybody wanting to learn audio engineering, right? I guess if you had somebody getting into that audio engineering world, what where should they go to find out a little bit more information about some of these resources? Well, my website, bobbyosinski.com, and that will point you to lots of free resources to my blogs, podcasts, all that stuff, courses. So it's all there, bobbyosinski.com. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bobby, and appreciate you taking the time. And we'll look forward to seeing you on our next mastermind call. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jason. Hey, it's Jason here, and I hope you've gotten a lot of value out of this episode. Be sure to check out our show notes to learn more about our guest today. And if you'd like to support our podcast, there's a few things that you can do to help us grow. First, if you hit subscribe, it will help ensure that you don't miss a future episode. Second, if you'll share it with your friends on social media or send it via email or message, it helps us spread the word as well. And third, if you leave an honest review, it really helps with the algorithms so that other people can find our podcast. Finding success and fulfillment in the music industry is possible. And I look forward to seeing you on our next episode.